Welcome to University Hill, located on the campus of the University of British Columbia in beautiful Vancouver. Each week, we gather on the traditional, ancestral, and unceded territory of the Musqueam people. We worship, sing, pray, and engage with scripture as we seek to grow in faith and as followers of Jesus. We pray that this podcast of scripture passages and sermons preached will bless your own faith journey. And of course, you're always welcome to join us on Sunday morning. Check out uhill.net for a Zoom link and more information. Four, 14 to 21. Then Jesus, filled with the power of the Spirit, returned to Galilee, and a report about him spread through all the surrounding country. He began to teach in their synagogues and was praised by everyone. When he came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up, he came to the synagogue on Sabbath day, as was his custom. He stood up to read. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He enrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written. The spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind and to let the oppressed go free. To proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. The eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. Then he began to say to them, Today the scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. Word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Be to God. Let's pray together. Holy God, your word is good, sweeter than honey, more to be desired than precious jewels. And so we pray that today we would desire it well, uh, that we would taste and see your goodness, that we would hear your word well so that we can make you better known in this world. We pray that you would bless the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts and minds, that they would be acceptable in your sight. We ask it in the name of Jesus, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. So we're in this uh, season of Epiphany, right, Um, which is the season of paying attention to who and how Jesus is. After the the hope and anticipation of Advent and the celebration of God with us in Jesus, uh, when we see how far God will go to get all mixed up with this world, Epiphany, this next season, is this time when we watch and see what that really means. What will God with us be like? And so a couple of weeks ago, we heard the story that uh, Aaron just told. This was not planned, <laughs> uh, but uh, of, of Jesus' baptism. When Jesus gets down in the water with the rest of us, and we hear the voice from heaven saying, this is my son, the beloved, with whom I am well pleased. And as the Holy Spirit descends uh, like a dove, it's this glimpse into the heart of the Trinity, God, who is eternally Father, Son, and Spirit. And the whole thing is this declaration that what we see in Jesus reflects the pleasure of God in this world. And then last week, we saw the wedding at Cana, where Jesus turns water into wine. And we see that God's pleasure has to do with compassion and dignity and extravagance and beauty. It's interesting to me how often in Scripture, the world as God wants it is described as a lavish banquet. 
uh, you know, where everyone is welcome to taste and see that God is good. This is not an exclusive meal for those who can afford it or for those who deserve it, but every hungry belly will be filled. Every tear will be wiped away. Everyone satisfied cups overflowing. This is God's pleasure. And it's how Jesus is, right? His critics will accuse him of being a drunkard and a glutton, which we can assume is some exaggeration, but Jesus is happy to admit that he does like a good party. The son of man came eating and drinking. Sometimes seconds of dessert is a glimpse of the kingdom of heaven. But now, now today we come to what is, is possibly the most important passage in Luke's gospel for telling us who and how Jesus is, how he reveals God's pleasure. And it's important that this passage comes right on the heels of Jesus' temptation in the wilderness, because there's a, a kind of flow to the way that Luke tells the story that I think really matters. And if you've got a Bible, you might want to follow along. But uh, um, so at Jesus' baptism, as we heard, we get this heavenly pronouncement. This is my son, the beloved, with whom I'm well pleased. And then we're told that the Spirit leads Jesus into the wilderness to be tempted. And the tempter's first words are, if you are the son of God. Right? So on the one hand, we've got, this is my son, the beloved, with whom I'm well pleased. And on the other hand, we have, if you are the son of God. Jesus' identity is at stake. And then the temptations follow. And I'll let you read it for yourself. But very simply, Jesus is tempted to prove himself, to prove his divine belovedness by using his divine gifts to satisfy himself to grasp at power, and to pursue fame. And I don't want to belabor this point, but it's interesting to me that what Luke describes as temptations away from the world as the way that God wants it, these temptations are perfectly predictable and familiar, right? We know all about these temptations. I mean, just look at social media if you're on it, and if you're not on it, stay off it. Uh, these, these temptations are perfectly familiar and predictable, which is a good reminder, and this is my point, that evil is not creative, right? It's the same old thing, just variations on a theme. The tempter has a few tired tricks, but that is it. And I am glad to remind us as often as I can uh, that sin is boring. God is creative. Now, if you want to be boring and predictable, try to prove yourself by looking out for yourself by being in charge, by caring what other people think of you. But if you want to be creative, living life that's truly life, life that's abundant, then follow Jesus and do what he does. Because that's the stuff that makes heaven sing. And so Jesus bests the tempter, right? And then he's spirit launched, we're told, out of the wilderness and into his ministry. And then on one particular Sabbath day, Jesus goes to the synagogue in his hometown of Nazareth. And by this time, word's gotten around uh, that he's become quite a teacher. Maybe there have been some miracles along the way. It's exciting that he's come back to the synagogue that he grew up in, right? A, a local boy made good. Everybody loves that story. And so they ask him to take part in worship that day. And I think it's important, kind of as an aside, to know that that's not just because he's Jesus. Uh, people don't actually know what that means yet, really. Uh, the thing is that in a synagogue, any man, and back in the day it was only men, unfortunately, but any man could be asked to take part in the service, to do the readings, or even to preach, right? You could get tagged when you walk in the door to offer the teaching for that day, and I think that would be a fun little experiment, don't you? 
<laughs> like, hey, I'm really glad you're here today. Uh, you're going to be preaching. <laughs> um, good luck. No, but traditionally at a bar mitzvah or a bat mitzvah, the, the young person is required to give a kind of sermon because Jews believe that every adult should be able to say something about the scriptures. Uh, I think we could probably learn something from that. You know, I think this is why the Lenten devotionals are so important. Uh, you've got something to say that only God, God, that God can only say through you. You have something we need to hear. Share that gift. Anyhow, uh, back, back to the synagogue in Nazareth where Jesus has the scroll of the prophet Isaiah in his hands and he's got a sermon in mind. And so he unrolls the scroll until he finds what he wants and he reads this. The spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to let the oppressed go free and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And then he says this, today, the scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. Today, the scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. And we'll get the rest of the sermon next week. You got to come back if you want to hear the rest of it. For now, that's it. Today, the scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. And it's clear what he's saying, right? He's the one through whom these promises of God are fully coming true. His life is the sermon on this text. This is who Jesus is. This and not the, the pathetic temptations of the tempter is what he's about. Good news to the poor. Release for the captives. The passage from Isaiah 61, if you want to check out uh, where this comes from, includes this line about binding up the brokenhearted. Gosh, don't we need some of that these days? This is release from whatever would close in on us. It might be literal, literal release, but it's release from anything that would keep us from God's full purposes for us. Good news for the poor, release for the captives, fresh sight in the world, a new way of seeing, freedom for the oppressed, and the proclamation of the Lord's favor. This is the stuff that Jesus cares about. This is who he is. This is what it means to say that God is with us. This is God's pleasure. This is God's work. This is God's desire and dogged determination for this world. This is what his ministry will be about at every turn. You know, in a few chapters, uh, John the Baptist is going to send some messengers to Jesus to ask whether or not he really is the one, the Messiah, who's going to usher in God's kingdom and establish it on earth as in heaven because things are not happening quite the way that John thought they were going to. You know, he's been thrown in prison by the wretched King Herod for having done just what he was called to do. He prepared the way of the Lord and he thought things would go kind of differently. And so he sends messengers to inquire and Jesus tells John's messengers to go and tell him what they're seeing, which is this, the blind receive their sight. The lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the poor have good news brought to them. Now, this isn't just a distant ideal. It's not just wishful thinking. It's the way of Jesus. This is what God wants. This is what God will get. And now, as I said, next week's reading picks up right exactly where this one leaves off. So I'm, I'm not going to try and say everything that I want to say about it in one shot. Uh, there will be part two. Um, so come back next week. <laughs> uh, but for today, I, I want to spend the next few minutes 
paying attention to three things that I think are really important as we try to figure out what it means for us to follow Jesus, for us to be about the things that he's about, which is the whole point. This is what we're called to do. And so the first is that we're, we're caught up in the spirit, in the places where we live and what find ourselves, to live knowing that God's will is as good as done. Okay, we're caught up in the spirit where we are to live knowing that God's will is as good as done. So first we're caught up in the spirit, right? More than any other gospel, Luke's gospel reminds us that the work of being followers of Jesus, of doing what he did, of learning from him is a work of the spirit. God's own life, God's own breath, God's power, the the same power that shaped chaos into creation is at work in us. In Jesus' baptism, the Spirit descends. And then we're told that the, the Spirit, Jesus is full of the Spirit. And then the Spirit leads him into the wilderness. And today we hear that he comes in the power of the Spirit. You know, too often we Christians succumb to the temptation to believe that what we're about is mostly what we bring to the table. The tempter twists those old temptations and has us thinking that whatever the church is, it's mostly about us. But Luke is having none of that probably because it's boring. Now, whatever Jesus does is done in the power and presence and leading of the wildly creative, abundantly far more than all we can ask or imagine, life out of death anointing of the Spirit. And anyone who would follow him gets to do so under the same conditions. Right? We're not left to our own devices. We're not limited by our limitations. We're not even limited by our strength, but by the power of the Spirit, we get to become the answers to our audacious prayer that God's will would be done on earth as in heaven. We are not lone rangers for Jesus, but we are drafted and grafted into the light life of the Trinity together. Now, This is why regular devotional times are so important. This is why we pray. This is why we read scripture. And if those things are are new or unfamiliar to you, there are a million resources. Talk talk to me, talk to somebody. Uh, There's lots of ways to learn how to do this. But it's, it's why we pray, why we read scripture. It's why we sit down and shut up every once in a while so that God can do what God wants to do, so that God can say what God wants to say without the noise of our expectations. Now, I have this card on my bulletin board at work in my office, which I'm sure I've talked about before, but I like it. And it reminds me of this question that other faithful and wise thinkers have asked, which is, am I in the world for God or am I in God for the world? Am I in the world for God or am I in God for the world? And the answer to that makes all the difference. Right? If I'm in God, or if I'm in the world for God, rather, I, I might manage to do some good and Christ-like things, uh, but I'm doing those things within my own limitations, which are, are many. <laughs> but we're not called to be in the world for God. We're called to be in God for the world. We're called to draw near to the one who's drawn near to us and to remember that our deepest hope, the best good news, is not that we will get done what we set out to do. Our deepest hope and the best good news is that God's will will be done on earth as in heaven. You know, there's a story in the book of Acts where St. Paul has a plan to expand his missionary journey, right? He wants to go to in a particular direction. And on paper, it's a really good plan. You know, Paul's a clever guy. He's got holy ambitions. He wants the whole world to know about Jesus. And he's got a plan to make it happen. 
And Luke tells us that the Holy Spirit forbids him to follow through on it. Right? The Holy Spirit would not allow us to go there, it says. You know, sometimes when God closes the door, God puts up a wall so that we got to go another direction. And that's what happens with Paul. He goes a different direction and his ministry thrives. And now, if he'd been in the world for God, he might have pressed on, tried to take down that wall, open that door, convinced that his strategic plan was really the way that he and his companions should go. But he's in God for the world. He's trying to keep step with the Spirit like he encourages his churches to do. And because of that, the kingdom of God gets a little bit closer. Now, you know, if Jesus has to be filled with the power of the Holy Spirit to do his work, and if Paul needs to attend to the Holy Spirit to do what he's called to do, why do we ever try to do life otherwise, in any other way? I mean, I think the answer is simple. It's probably simple for me anyways. The Holy Spirit is uncontrollable and unpredictable. Now, Jesus says in John's gospel that folks caught up in the Spirit sometimes don't know whether they're coming or going. That's my paraphrase. And we don't like that kind of uncertainty, right? We like to be in control. I like to be in control. I'm as guilty as rely, of relying on my own best will and effort and settling for the limitations of my expectations as anyone is. Now, but the witness of saints in every generation, every generation is that what makes us agents of God's kingdom, what sustains a whole life witness to the good news and freedom and glory of Christ is not being in the world for God, but being in God for the world, letting God's will and way hold sway in our lives. Because God's will for us is good and very good. Because we are God's children. We are God's beloved. You are the object of God's pleasure and favor. And God will not leave you alone. So whatever we're called to do, we're called to do it in the... Uh, in the name and way of Jesus, but in the presence and power and wildly creative anointing of the Holy Spirit. That's the first thing. The second thing is that we do that stuff where we are. Right? I like that Luke tells us that Jesus went to the synagogue, as was his custom. And it's his custom because he's a faithful first century Jewish man. Right? The word that was with God and was God became flesh and moved in among us and had Jewish parents who raised him in the faith. And it's a weird but beautiful thing. When God chooses to get mixed up in this world, in Christ, to enter this world through the womb of a Nazarene peasant girl in a particular time, in a particular place, then we come to know that every particular time and every particular place matters to God. Right? This happens because God loves this world, all times and all places, including ours. Particularity matters to God. If we'll bear witness to the stuff that Jesus says he's about, good news for the poor, binding the brokenhearted, setting the captives free, seeing and revealing God's glory, rearranging the current order of things so it reflects God's favor, we don't do that stuff generally or vaguely. But the good news comes to life tangibly. It can be touched and tasted and seen. It takes seriously the people and places that are right in front of us. The kingdom of God is not concerned with some idealized elsewhere. The kingdom of God is here and now. 
You know, in league with the spirit, we are called to be agents of good news and freedom and glory and justice. You are called to be agents of freedom and glory and justice and good news wherever you find yourselves, with the people you find yourselves with. That's the only context in which the stuff of God could come to life in you. There isn't a better place. There's not a more opportune time. There's not a better class of people. It's just where we got right in front of us and where we are, which I think is actually really good news. And because it means that we're invited to see the, the times and spaces and places, our jobs and homes and communities as places where, where God's will is already being worked out. And this is the third thing, right? Jesus doesn't uh, say that the stuff he's about will come to fruition someday, will be done someday. He says that in his presence, it's as good as done. Today, the scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. And of course, in one sense, we're, we are awaiting the day when all things will be made new. And we'll talk a little bit more about that next week. But for today, what's important, I think, is that wherever Jesus is, and his promise is to be with us now and always, in the power of his spirit, the promise is that wherever Jesus is, this stuff is already happening. It's already available. It's already coming to life. We don't have to wait. It is as good as done. We get to live in the presence and power of the Spirit and wherever we find ourselves as those who know, who trust that we've got a God who makes promises and keeps them, that we've got a God who's going to get the world that God wants. And what would it look like for us to really grab hold of that, to, to live and move and have our being as though nothing in heaven, earth, or hell is going to stop what is fulfilled in Jesus? Well, it will look like this. The poor will have good news brought to them. Captives of all sorts will be released. The brokenhearted will be bound up. We'll have eyes to see and lives that reveal the glory of God. The oppressed will find freedom and the world will teem with love and justice, the favor of the Lord. And so we continue to pray, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth and in our lives as it is in heaven. Amen.